Now we're going to read from God's word. We're reading tonight from the book of Genesis, this time verses 10 through 20. Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please, say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister. I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, we are going to look at how the Lord is faithful when we are fearful, when, when life terrifies us, the Lord remains true to us. We're going to look tonight at a, a man who's facing all kinds of pressures. He's, he's facing food insecurity. He's facing immigration challenges. He's having to deal with abuse of governmental power. He's, he's very weighed down with concern for his wife and concern for his own personal safety. And we see all of this play out in the life of Abraham. Now, so far, we've got just a very little amount of information about this man, Abraham. And this text tonight recounts the first extended account in Abraham's life. And in this account, Abraham does not look very heroic. Remember the, the context of this account. Abraham is 75 years old. And he and Sarai can't have children, and they've made peace with that. And late in his life, the Lord tells Abram to emigrate, to take everything and everyone and go to a land he does not know. And the Lord makes Abram a very big promise. The Lord promises Abram that he is going to become a great nation and that he is going to bless the nations of the world. It's, it's the Abrahamic covenant. And so in this text, we see that God's promise, the promise that we, we looked at last week, it's going to be put to the test in a small way, but a very distinct way here. 
Verses 9 and 10. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So Abram's in transition. He's in the land of Canaan, and while he's there, the Lord tells Abram, this is the land. This is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. But as he's there and they're living there, they've, they've unpacked, there's a severe famine. There's widespread crop and farming failure. And the news that they're hearing is that further south, south of Canaan, in Egypt, they have food. And so Abram moves again. He moves further south to the land of Egypt. Abraham's life is that of a nomad. Now, tonight, as he comes into Egypt, Abraham has to face some of his fears. The Lord is faithful when we are fearful. But along the way to, to seeing that, this is the, the first thing that we run into here. Fear makes us fools. Fear makes us fools. This is in verses 10 through 13. Look at how Abram enters Egypt, and in Egypt, Abram becomes fearful. Genesis 12, verses 11 and 12. And it came to pass when he, Abram, was close to entering Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, Abram is already in a situation where he feels vulnerable. He already feels at risk. And Abram emigrates to Egypt. He's trying to escape food insecurity. And he's with his wife, Sarai. And she's beautiful. And Abram knows that she's beautiful. And Abram knows that when people, strangers, even in another country, when people see Sarai, they're going to stare at her. Her beauty is so strong. It's, it's, her beauty is like this super magnet that will swing the needle of every compass when she comes into the room. And Abram says, we are in Egypt. The people here are rapacious. I have, a, I have a trophy wife and men with power will grab women and kill the husband. He says, this is how it is. And so Abram's fear boils down to this. Verse 12, he says, they will kill me. They will kill me and take you from me. Abram fears for his life. Now, I said that fear makes us fools. Look at how Abram's fear makes him a fool. There are several ways that his fear makes him a fool. First of all, his fear makes him a liar. Verse 13, please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. And so what's Abram doing here? Here, Abram is pushing his wife. He's pushing Sarai to lie in order to save his life. Here's, here's the logic that's going on in Abram's head. He says to his wife, he says, you're gorgeous. They will want to take you. And if they think that I'm your husband, they will kill me so that they can get you. But if they think that I'm your brother, they will treat me like a favored guest in order to win you over. 
And so you see the logic there. He, he's saying to Sarai, they will want you because of your beauty. And so they're going to try to make themselves appealing to you in order to get you. And they would treat your brother. If your brother was with, was with you, they would treat your brother with goodness in order to appeal to you. And so with that kind of logic, Abram is saying, please, Sarai, my wife, lie to them. Tell them that I'm your brother, not your husband. Lie so that it will be well with me. Lie so that I can live. Now, our, 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 our beloved pastor, Bill, Bill Harrell, he often would point out that fear makes a miserable counselor. Fear makes a miserable counselor. When fear takes over, when you let it run loose, you give it full rein and it's galloping along in your mind, you will start to catastrophize your circumstances. For instance, maybe, maybe this is how your, your fear catastrophizes your situation. Maybe outside it's, it's snowing, but it's snowing lightly. And that's all that it's forecast to be, light snow. The streets are wet, but they're not icy. But you're afraid of driving in snow. And, and you're so afraid of driving in snow that you treat the light snow as if it's a blizzard. And you are certain that if you, if you take your, your car and, and go a few blocks into it, you're certain that you're going you're gonna to end up in a wreck if you drive. And because of your fear of having an accident, you have catastrophized what is just a light snow. You are certain that the worst possibility will become reality. Now, that's what's going on with Abram. Abram fears for his life, and his fear, it starts this, this thinking, but it's unfounded thinking. Abram is certain that his life is at risk. Abram is certain that the Egyptians are murderous and dishonorable and that they're brutes. And so Abram is certain that Sarai must tell this lie. Fear makes him a liar. And isn't the case that fear makes us fools this way? It, fear makes us to be liars. Fear tempts us. It tempts, fear tempts us to lie when, when we're filling out forms, when we're just typing in numbers and names. It could be for a financial application. It, it could be for taxes. We fear losing money. We fear paying too much. We fear that we'll miss a housing option. And so you might fudge the numbers. It's just it's just a lie in a form. It's not really a lie because there isn't a person. But also, our fear tempts us not only to lie on a form, our, our fears can tempt us to lie about our own failings, about the, the ways that we fall short, that we have, we have not measured up to the mark. Fear tempts us to lie about our failings. Maybe you're behind on a project. Maybe you didn't study adequately for the test. Maybe you forgot that you had promised to fix something at home. And then the other person asks, the other person asks, have you done that yet? Have, have you done the laundry yet the way you, you promised? Did, did you submit the paper? Did you submit your part of the project yet? And we fail to. And, and we're afraid. We're afraid of condemnation. We're afraid of admitting our failing. And so our fear tempts us to lie to lie about our failings. So fear can tempt us to lie about our failings. Our fear pressures us also to lie about other things. Our, our fear can pressure us to lie about our faith. 
maybe you're with a group of people who they're, they're all strong. They're all mad, admirable. They're all positioned. And you know that these people, this group that you're with, you know that they think Christians are idiots. They think that Christians are primitives. They think that Christians are just knuckle dragging bigots. And when they ridicule the stupid things that some Christians have done, and then they swivel to you and say, wait, now, wait a minute. You're big with church, aren't you? Are you a Christian? You're afraid. You're afraid and, and you're tempted to lie about your faith. You're afraid and you're tempted to disassociate yourself from Jesus. You're tempted to lie, to deny him. You wouldn't dare say, but I love Jesus very much. There, there's something that's useful about all that. When we're fearing, when we're fearful and we lie, there's something useful about that. When, when you give in to that temptation and fear makes you a liar, it's useful in this way. Your fear, your fear reveals what you really love. Your fear reveals what is very important to you, functionally, what's important to you, what you love enough to lie about. So there's something useful in that. Now, here's, a, here's another way that fear makes us fools. Fear also not only makes us liars, fear makes us self-regarding and loveless. Fear makes us self-regarding and loveless. Verses 14 and 15. The Egyptians do see that Sarai is very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh admire her beauty, and they're talking about it. They, they talk about it to Pharaoh, the leader of the land, and, and the woman is taken to Pharaoh's house. Now, presumably, they're taking Sarai to Pharaoh's house in order to process her into Pharaoh's harem to become a mistress to the Pharaoh, or maybe to become one of Pharaoh's wives. But, but in Abram's fear, as this plays out, in Abram's fear, his only concern is about himself. You see that there? Verse 12, this is how he's thinking. Listen to what's actually important to Abram. He says, they will say, kill the husband to get the woman. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my wife, my sister. Now, at this point, look at how self-regarding, totally self-regarding Abram is. Say you are my sister, that I may live because of you. Okay, great, Abram. But what about her? He's just oblivious to this woman, to his wife. This lie, this scheme, it only focuses on Abram's well-being. What about Sarai? What about his wife? What about her well-being? She's going to be joined to a foreign harem? But his fear, in his, when he's just consumed by his fear, Abram just becomes utterly self-centered. It's all about his life, nothing about the woman. Fear makes us self-regarding and loveless. Whom does Abram love here himself. Abram's fear utterly eclipses any love for the woman, any love for his, his wife, Sarai. It, it's, it's cowardly. It's, it's not heroic, is it? I, I saw this, this video. Maybe, maybe you've seen this video. It, it looks like the video is just in some security camera inside uh, a kitchen. It looks like it's set in Asia in some urban apartment. And in this video, 
in this like home security uh, video, the wife is cooking, cooking on a walk over a gas stove and the husband's in the kitchen and something and as she's cooking in the walk, something flashes and it looks like some grease ignites and there's this, this grease fire, huge fireball erupts on the stove and, and the wife is trying to deal with this fireball and, and the husband looks up in the video, sees the fire, panics, runs across the kitchen on his way out, grabs uh, their little daughter and bolts out and the kitchen door slams behind him. He's safe. And, and the woman is still there. She's like dealing with this, this fireball. She's trying to get a lid on it. She finally douses it. And then she looks up and she's, she's looking like, She's abandoned in this little stove fire. And it's like she's asking, what, what about me? The man's fear makes him utterly self-regarding. His fear shows a lack of love for the welfare of, of the woman. When fear controls you, when fear because of whatever it is, fear because of your, your bills, your mounting bills, when, when fear because of your job, whatever, when you fear, do you turn inward? Do you turn inward, looking only at yourself? Do you forget? Do you lose, do you, do you turn into this tunnel vision and you forget the people who are around you, the fellow human beings in the constellation of your life? Do their needs just disappear when you fear? Does fear make you loveless and self-regarding? I know for myself it's easy, it's very easy when I'm afraid to neglect my family, to become supremely self-preoccupied, mulling over my fear and the, and the danger that I am perceiving and that is just getting larger and larger in my head. And it's so easy when I'm afraid to never see the people who are around me and to ask, how are you doing? How are you doing with this? To, to apply myself to, to be praying for the fears of my friends. I'm not the only person alive on the planet Earth. To consider the needs of others. It's so hard when I'm afraid. How does fear make us fools? Fear makes us liars. Fear makes us self-regarding and loveless. Now, here's another way that fear makes us fools. Fear makes us forgetful. Fear makes us forgetful. Abram is certain. He is absolutely positive. Sarah, you must lie or I will die. The Egyptians will take my woman and they will kill me. But what is it that Abram is forgetting in his fear? What is he forgetting? in his fear. Abram looks at his fear and he sees only what he can see with his limited mind and his limited senses. He's looking at things only at the human level, only through his perception of the human situation. All that Abram sees are people. He sees the abusive power of Pharaoh, but Abraham has totally forgotten God. Abram does not see God, his God, and Abram forgets the big promises that God has made to him. Recall that just a few verses earlier, the specific covenant promises that God made to Abram. He said in, in Genesis 12, verse three, the Lord promised, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. But Abram's fear has made him forgetful. Abram is like the writer of Psalm 31. Remember Psalm 31. The psalmist, the writer says, powerful people were plotting against me. And when that happened, I panicked. And in my fear, I said, I'm cut off from before your eyes. 
God, don't you see? God, won't you act? Do, do you ever go blind to God when you're in a panic? Maybe you get scary news. Maybe it's, it's medical news that scares you. Or, or, or maybe you get a call and, and you see that the text or the call is from this person, this person that's very painful in your life, and, and you panic. When that happens, do you forget God? Do you forget that God is for you? Remember the time when the disciples of Jesus were very afraid, and they panicked, and they completely forgot everything that they knew. They were in a boat. The boat entered stormy waters, and the storm started to sink the boat. It, it was scary. They panicked. But in their panic, they forgot the power of Jesus. They forgot the commitment that Jesus had made and demonstrated to them. Mark 4, 38. But Jesus was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, but Jesus said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Fear makes us forgetful, forgetful of the promises of God, forgetful of the presence of God, forgetful of the power of God. But, but if you were to remember if you could be in this, this time of being terrorized and remember and remember, wouldn't that change the crisis? Wouldn't that change you in the middle of the crisis? If, if, if you had inside yourself peace, peace that Jesus can, peace that Jesus cares, wouldn't that prevent you from panicking and forgetting? Wouldn't that prevent you from lashing out at the people around you, lashing out at the people around you and, and accusing them of, of failing to understand what you're going through? If you had that peace in you, if, if you if you didn't forget, wouldn't that prevent you from, from accusing people to care about you as you're sinking? Because if Jesus cares, because if Jesus cares that you're perishing, and because if Jesus can still all of those storms, any storms, you're okay with Jesus sleeping a little bit longer. I mean, wake Jesus up. Tell Jesus, tell, tell, tell him, Lord, I'm perishing. Pray it. Pray for him to wake up. Get other people to pray for him to act. But don't doubt his care. Don't mistake his delay for him disdaining you. Jesus cares if you perish. He cares. Now, at this point, we have to admit that Abram has sinned. Abram has sinned. Abram has lied. It's a, it's a failure of truth. Abram has lacked love for his wife. It's a failure of love. Abram has forgotten God and doubted God's word. It's a failure of, of faith. And in this first test of Abram's faith, in God's big promise, in this first test of how Abram is receiving God's covenant promises, Abram fails. Abram has failed in the very first time that he's up to bat in trusting 
God's promise. But here's what we see, and, and this really is the main point tonight. The Lord is faithful when we are fearful. The Lord is faithful even when we are fearful. And that is very good news because you and I, we give in to fear. We forget. Our, our fears rise, and as our fears rise, our faith flees. It's just out the door. Maybe, maybe the money looks like it's short this month, and, and you're tempted. You're afraid, and you're tempted to lie. You're tempted to steal. You forget that God promises, no good thing will I withhold from those who fear me. Maybe it's not a shortage of money. Maybe it's a relationship, a relationship that you want to work. You want this relationship. You want it to turn out, and you want it so badly that you're willing to compromise. You're willing to, to compromise morally, to, to become sexually involved without marriage, to become involved with someone who rejects Christ. Maybe you're willing to, to break the Sabbath just to gain the respect of people. Maybe you're willing to, to drink too much just to make your circle of friends stronger and broader. The Holy God has just entered a covenant with Abram here, the big promise that we examined last week. And immediately, when Abram is put under pressure, Abram forgets God, Abram doubts God, Abram acts like the promises of God mean nothing. By all of these sins, Abram has broken the deal. Abram disqualifies himself from God's promises. But here's what we see. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful when we're fearful. The Lord, if I could put a, 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 even more specificity in the Lord keeps his covenant in spite of Abram's unbelief, in spite of Abram's sin, God will perform. Abram lies, Abram denies his wife, Abram doubts God because he's afraid, it's cowardice, and, and because of his cowardice, he catastrophizes, and because of his cowardice, he puts his own welfare above his wife's welfare, and because of his cowardice, he doubts the competency, competency and he doubts the care of his God. Now, what does God do with this coward? The Lord's faithful when he's fearful. And this establishes this gigantic truth that's all throughout the Bible. This establishes this giant truth about God, that God's covenant is of grace. His covenant is of grace. God is good to those who do not deserve it. Verses 16 and 17, they directly fulfill the covenant promise that God made to Abram. The promise that God would bless Abram the promise that God would curse those who harm Abram. And that's what we see here. We see it in verse 16. God blesses Abram. Pharaoh enriches Abram's possessions and his people. He, he gives him all of this stuff. And, and at the end of, of this account, Abram leaves. And, and all of that is his. His big estate has just gotten bigger. And in verse 17, we see God fulfill his promise. God curses Pharaoh. It says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Pharaoh is going down this process of sleeping with another man's wife, and God brings all kinds of trouble on Pharaoh because of it. And this shows us that, that God sees. God sees when evildoers are troubling 
his people. God sees the hurtful comments that they make. God, God sees the abuses of power that they inflict. God sees how people may undermine your marriage, and God will surely act. And in this situation, God is keeping his covenant promise to Abram, but God is keeping it in grace. Abram is failing, but our sin doesn't stop God from winning. Grace means you might blow it. You shouldn't blow it, but grace means you might blow it. But God's covenant with you completely rests on the performance of God, on the, on the promise of God. It's not based on your performance. It's a covenant of grace. And so this opening story in Abram's life sets a pattern, and it's going to be repeated as we go through the life of Abram. It sets a pattern that establishes God's grace succeeding even when we are sinning, even in spite of our sin. And so, so when you zoom out, you see this pattern over and over. We sin, but God makes a promise of grace, and our sin doesn't stop his promise from being fulfilled. That happens, this even happens again in Abraham's life, almost the exact same situation. Later, Genesis chapter 20, we'll see it in, in future weeks. Abraham is afraid of jealous men, once again, killing him in order to take his beautiful wife. And, and he tells the same lie. Genesis 26, later on, not Abram, but Abram's son, Isaac, he has the same fears and he tells the same lie out of a fear that men will kill him to take his beautiful wife. And so we see this happening, God's grace prevailing even when we sin, God keeping his promise even when we sin, in spite of our sin. And, and when you zoom out and get the bigger picture, this, this little time, this little family drama in Egypt, it maps to an even bigger picture. Eventually, the family of Abraham comes into Israel, but they come not as a family, they come as a nation, the nation of Israel. And in the future, it's a famine that drives the nation south into Egypt where they become trapped. They become trapped by the Pharaoh and God in grace, not because they were worth anything. God in grace releases them, the nation, from the power of Pharaoh. And over and over, we see this pattern in the Bible. It's, it's one of the big stories repeated in the Bible. Over and over, God delivers a fearful people. Over and over, God delivers a doubting people. And ultimately, God does this not just with Israel and Egypt. God does this in Jesus Christ. Well, how do we see this? In the gospel of grace, God delivers a fearful and a doubting people. Abraham, Abraham feared that powerful men would kill him. Abraham feared that powerful men would kill him. And so he regarded himself and he denied his wife. In the gospel, Jesus faced powerful men who killed him. But Jesus didn't regard his own life. Jesus laid down his life. In, in, in our text, Abram said to his wife, let, let them take you so that I can live. But in the gospel, Jesus said, let them take me so that you may live. You see the loving regard that Jesus 
has, even when he was afraid, Jesus denied himself rather than denying his bride, the church. And here's what I want you to see about the love of Jesus, about the love of Jesus for you, his bride. Abraham knew that his wife was beautiful. The gospel tells you that Jesus finds you incredibly beautiful. You delight him. You ask, how could that be? How could that be? I don't know, but his commitment proves it. And we know that it's by grace. We know that we don't deserve it. And so the question for you and for me, can you trust grace? Can you trust love that you don't deserve? Because when you understand, when you understand this gracious love, it will alter how you deal with your fears. Abraham, Abraham was afraid. He was afraid of death. This is his line. They will kill me. And that fear of his own death put him into a poor state of mind, put him in a sorry state of mind. His fear of death utterly overshadowed his hold, his grasp on the promises of God. His fear of death caused him to exaggerate the danger of powerful men. His fear of death pushed out his own love for his beautiful wife, and he became fixated, utterly fixated on just saving his own skin rather than sparing his own wife. Can you trust the gracious commitment of God so that you look at your fears, you look at your fears, and instead of catastrophizing, instead you bring covenant eyes to your situation. You see your situation through the eyes of God's covenant promise to you. Grace says that you can trust the commitment of God even especially when you see your own woeful lack of commitment to God. You trust the commitment of God so much that even powerful men don't obscure the presence and the power of God. There's also this, though. When you, when you understand this gracious love, it also not only alters how you deal and how you face your fears, it, it alters how you deal with people. It changes how you will interact with people. When you're resting in complete confidence that God loves you, that in grace he loves you, and that his love is based on grace, not on your merit, not on your success, that means when you fail and when you sin, you do not utterly go to pieces. You don't go through days and days of self-loathing because you know that Christ's work has prevailed in grace. It means that your sin cannot stop the covenant goodness of God because it was always based on grace, not on your success. And when you have that kind of confidence, that confidence in God's love, you're not needy with other people. You're not grasping with people, clinging to people. You don't demand love from other people because God already loves you. And it's a love that you could never merit, and that means it's a love you could never lose when you fail to merit. 
You don't need to suffocate other people with your grasping because you're already filled. There's something also in this for women. In this account, Sarai, the woman, she is put in a situation of terrible vulnerability. Her, the well-being of her person is, is very much at risk here in this situation. But, but here and in the, the chapters to come, what we will see is that the Lord preserves the woman as, as the hope of covenant continuity. He preserves the woman. The seed will be Abraham's, and the seed will come through the woman, Sarai. And he will protect her. And, and that's what you see in this account. In this account, the Lord protects Sarai from not one group of men, from two groups of men. The Lord protects Sarai both from the, the predation of Pharaoh, and he also protects Sarah from the lying fear of Abram. The Lord preserves the woman from the men of power, and he preserves Sarai from the man of cowardice. And so let me close with this. Isaiah 51, 11, speaks to the, the fearful and to the faithfulness of the Lord. So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And the Lord says, I, even I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass. And you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have, fe you have feared, you have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is faithful. When we are fearful, he is faithful. Thanks be to God through Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we know that we need to stand on grace. And so we come and we receive your grace. And, and again and again, it humbles us. We say, it can't be. Why? How could you give good that we don't deserve? How could you save us? when we don't deserve us? How could you keep your promises to us even though we don't deserve us? We just know that you are a gracious God, and so we believe it. And that gives us a security because it means we can't do something to not deserve your grace because we never deserved it. And so, Lord, keep us walking in faith. Enable us to, to take your love for us, take your grace towards us, take your promises to us, and may it banish our fear. And make it, may it make us to love one another. We ask this all in Jesus' name and, and for his glory. Amen.